just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Monday, headed into another what will probably be a crazy week. All kinds of news and information and crazy shit going on. And of course, you can expect to hear all about it here on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Now, some of you may have noticed that I didn't do a podcast yesterday. I normally do it every day, but every now and again, I just got to go, okay, I'm going to not do it today. And Sundays are the best days because there isn't a lot going on compared to the regular weekday. And the reason I didn't do it yesterday is because I was out with my wife, my brother, and his wife. We were out till about midnight, 1230 or so. And when I got home, to be perfectly honest with you, I would normally record the podcast uh, maybe 12, 12.30 midnight to have it ready for you in the morning. But when we got home, I hadn't done any prep at all, and uh, I was tired as a motherfucker. Had I done that podcast yesterday, I wouldn't have been worth a shit. (laughs) There's no way I could have done it. So I thought, discretion's the better part of valor. I'm just going to let it ride one day, and we'll kick it off again on Monday. So here I am. You know, I get a lot of people who who don't like me, whether it be online or in person or in my family, for that matter. And they'll kind of admonish me a little bit, and they'll say, what do you do, just sit around and make TikToks and podcasts all day? You should get a life. Do you spend all that time doing TikToks and podcasts all day? Is that what you do? You sit in the room and do these TikToks and podcasts all day? And I explained to them, and I'll explain to you, I don't spend that much time doing TikToks and podcasts. I do have a life, and I have other things I want to do. And to be perfectly honest with you, if my son called me up and said, I need you to watch my grandkids, I'm fucking dropping everything and I'm going. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be in the middle of a podcast. So, But here's the way the, the TikToks and the podcasts work from my point of view. Now, one thing I do a lot of, I do watch and read and research a lot about the current news, stories that are going on in that particular day. And as I learn what these things are about, they're kind of bouncing around in my head. And I don't write out TikToks or the podcast for that matter. I have the ideas in my mind and then I formulate for TikToks kind of a little presentation, something more akin to what I did back when I was in my radio days as opposed to just speaking extemporaneously. I am speaking extemporaneously, but I've got the the script in my head. So that when it comes down to actually recording the TikToks, I can pop off three or four in half hour, 40 minutes max. And that's it. And then I'm done with TikTok. Now, later at night, midnight, 1230, one o'clock in the morning, that's when I record the podcast for the uh, for that day, that morning, and for that full day. Now, I don't write anything for the podcast. 
I basically go through the things I talked about on TikTok and some other things that are out there that are news stories. I read about them. I understand them. I get the facts in my head. I might make some notes about facts if it's something I can't remember. And then when I sit down to do the podcast, like I'm doing right now, I do about an hour podcast. That hour podcast takes me an hour. Now, there is some editing, but not a lot. The only time I have to edit is if I can't help it and I cough in the podcast. Well, then I'll go back and edit that out. I had the intro, I had the outro, and I put it up. So the amount of time I spend doing the podcast is probably an hour and 20 minutes. So I'm doing TikToks for half hour. I'm doing uh, the podcast for about an hour and 20 minutes with production and all that kind of stuff. So I'm at maybe two hours a day. So I'm not spending my life doing TikToks and podcasts. I'm doing what I want to do in terms of the TikToks and the podcast, but I don't have to give up my whole day every day to do this stuff. I can get it done much quicker. So now you have a better insight as to <laughs> what I do, why I do it, and how I do it. Uh, and if you're one of those folks that think I do nothing but record all day, that's not true just not true. I'm fortunate that I've done this most of my life, so it's kind of second nature. And for me to get an idea and kind of formulate a script, it's not that hard. And I just talk. <laughs> now, I will have to take two or three takes on some of the TikToks because I want it to sound exactly the way I want it to sound. And sometimes it takes a little alteration as I'm talking to get it where I want it. But other than that, it's really not that much, not that much time. Now, we're going to start this show off uh, uh, with an email, as we commonly do. I want to encourage people to send more emails. I haven't got that many lately. So if you have a question, comment, complaint, whatever, by all means, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. People are really liking the guests, the listener guests. I don't really have many lined up right now. So if you have an interest in being a guest on the show, whether you've been on before or never been on, by all means, send me an email. We'll set it up. But this, uh, this email starts out, dude, I know I like this guy already. First, sorry for the long-winded email, LOL. <laughs> you know, I love that term, LOL, because it saves you from anything. I can text anybody anything. I can text my friend and say, you are an absolute fucking dickhead and save myself by just putting on the end, LOL. <laughs> I wish I could do that in person. Call somebody an asshole and then say, oh, LOL. <laughs> anyway, and, and here's the thing. This is coming from a fellow boomer named Bob. And, and Bob, I'm just going to give you a hint. Don't apologize for the length of the email especially in the beginning of the email. That kind of sets it up for a negative. I'm happy to read long emails, so don't worry about that. First, sorry for the long-winded email, LOL. Fellow Boomer Bob from Northern California here. I listen to your show faithfully, thank you, and I'm always learning and critically thinking as a result. I love the guests on your podcast. Keep them coming. However, it seems there's an elephant in the room that has been touched on but not fully addressed, unless I missed it. And I'm hoping you can devote some time to it. And he says it's the seven mountain mandate. 
a.k.a. 7M. Well, Bob, I have to tell you, I don't know anything about that. But he goes on. Evangelicals have been in the way of progress in this country since the Civil War ended. They planned to and are actively trying to control the seven pillars, mountains of society. Family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. They have been perpetually grooming and placing people with their beliefs in these areas. This is real dangerous and becoming more and more prevalent every day. Stripping away civil rights and creating a government that controls our most personal business. All the white berating, degrading, and condemning people that don't believe as they do. Fuck that shit. Evangelicals latched on to Donald Trump because they believed that he could help them on their mission, and he felt and he felt the same about them. Although he may not even know how to spell evangelist, <laughs> this is a match made somewhere, but I don't think it's heaven, lol. Anyway, my point is this. This needs to be talked about. People aren't aware, need to become aware. Thank you for all your excellent podcasts and TikToks. When I listen, I experience lots of different emotions, which simply means that your content is promoting critical thinking. Well done. Thanks again, fellow boomer Bob out. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. And, you know, if we can do one thing with this show, whether it be me talking or some of the listeners and guests that I have on, uh, if we can get people to start critical thinking more, I think we've accomplished something. I've said this before. I think people in this country are a little lazy. They turn on the TV, they hear whatever the shit they're being told, and they believe it. They don't even think about it. They think that's all the information there is, and they just buy into it. And while I haven't heard that term, 7M, it makes some sense, certainly. I'm going to dig into this a little bit more and try to learn about it. I have a feeling that my frequent uh, guest on the show, Ed, probably has some insights to this since he's born and raised in the Bible Belt. Uh, but, you know, this is exactly true, Bob. We, we, we've got the... Uh, religious organizations in this country trying to force their morals and their ideas on this government and our country, and uh, it's not a good thing. You know, Lauren Boebert once said that uh, government shouldn't be controlling um, religion. Religion should be controlling government. It's ironic that she would say that, given that she and Those people like her are always spewing about the Constitution and how we should follow it to the letter of the law. Well, except for that one part of the Constitution that says uh, separation of church and state. There needs to be a separation from church and state. And why do you think that was in the Constitution? It's because in England, when those folks came over, they had the Catholic Church or the Protestant church, or whichever church, really impacting the government. And people have seen what damage that can do. We hadn't seen it for a long time. We knew it was kind of there, but now it's out in the open, and we're seeing what's happening and what the church is doing and the influence they have on the government clearly is not a good thing. 
they are in it to gain power and make money. And that's just not the right thing to be happening in this country. It just just is not. I've told you many times before, I am a Christian, essentially. I believe in God. I pray to God. I, I, I believe fully in that, but I'm totally against organized religion. And that's whether it's Catholics, whether it's Protestants, Baptists, whatever. It doesn't matter. Because the unfortunate thing is with organized religion, You've got humans running these organizations. They create the organizations. They run the organizations. They make the rules. Unfortunately, those rules aren't always in line with what God wants. It's what they want and what they think is right, whether they have misinterpreted the Bible or anything, or they're just trying to influence their will on all of us. And this is what they do, and, and we're seeing it in no uncertain terms right now, especially with the evangelicals. The, um, <laughs> when you mentioned Donald Trump and uh, the religious organizations, it reminded me of a quote from a Bob Seger song. I think it was Night Moves. And in that... Uh, In that song, there's a quote that says, she was using me and I was using her. I'm paraphrasing because I don't know the exact lyric. But she was using me, I was using her, but that's all right. We were getting our share or whatever. Okay? And that's pretty much the same thing with religious entities and Donald Trump. Both of them were using the other. And they were forgiving each other their sins or their missteps or their corruption because they knew the other would get them what they wanted. The evangelicals knew that Donald Trump would get conservative judges on the Supreme Court and overturn Roe v. Wade, and Donald Trump knew these fucks would get him votes. It's as simple as that. There is no decency. There is no truth or honesty in this whole thing. It's about them using one another. And it's really sad for me to think that a religious organization would set aside their morals, which they have done with Donald Trump, just to get what they want. And that should tell you one thing. It tells you exactly what I said just before. Organized religion is run by humans. Humans are fallible. They are inherently corrupt. They are inherently uh, selfish. They want what they want, and that's it. So we cannot have organized religion uh, impacting our our politics. It's it's just never going to work. And hopefully, once we get through all this shit, we can make that separation again and put them where they belong. I'm not saying they can't do what they want to do. If somebody wants to follow a, a corrupt, organized religion, that's up to them. I don't care. But don't force that shit on me and the rest of us that I've our reasonable minds and and care about this country. All right, let's get to some news. The House January 6th panel is ready to contemplate a subpoena for Ginny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Now, if she refuses to answer questions about her activities in the plot to overturn the election of 2020 presidential election, 
Representative Liz Cheney said Sunday committee members are currently talking to Thomas's attorneys. We certainly hope that she will agree to come in voluntarily, but the committee is fully prepared to contemplate a subpoena if she does not. I hope it doesn't get to that, said Cheney, who is vice chair of the panel. It's very important for us to speak to her. Well, of course it is. She has a lot of information. She was right in the thick of this shit. She was helping the planning. She was walking into the White House willy-nilly having meetings with whoever the fuck she wanted. We know she paid some money to bring buses up here, so yes, she should be talked to. But Jenny has to understand that uh, if she doesn't talk, she's not protected. She's kind of like Steve Bannon. And if she doesn't comply with the subpoena, she's going to get fucking... <laughs> she's going to get fucking Steve Bannon. She will end up in jail. Here's my question, though. We got Ginny Thomas. She was tied into the insurrection. She should be talked to and ultimately indicted. But if we're going to question Ginny Thomas, does it not make sense that we should also depose Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas? He's her husband. They have the same ideology. They talk about this, and they're apparently in on it together because we know that Clarence Thomas is unwilling to recuse himself regarding anything that has to do with the January 6th insurrection or anything tied to his wife. If Jenny Thomas has problems and has information that we need to hear, then so must Clarence Thomas, and Clarence Thomas should be brought into the January 6th committee, too. I mean, don't you think? That would be ironic. And I'm sure it's going to be difficult to do that, and maybe they aren't even considering that. But I would love to see Clarence Thomas and Ginny Thomas under oath given testimony. I believe that needs to be done. Certainly Ginny Thomas, but I think Clarence Thomas needs to be addressed as well. Now, the committee has asked the right-wing political activists to meet with panel members as well as provide documents that may be relevant to the investigation into last year's insurrection. Now, those documents include texts from Thomas urging Donald Trump's White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to continue the battle to overturn election results, texts, and emails. Trump ally attorney John Eastman, author of the so-called coup memo, on how to upend the vote. Help this great president stand firm, Mark, Thomas wrote. Meadows days uh, days after the 2020 election. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. Thomas also sent emails to Arizona lawmakers to urge them to choose a clean slate of fake electors in a bid to toss out Joe Biden's victory. here's the interesting thing when she's testifying under oath and she says some shit like that i would ask her very simply where was the evidence we have not seen one shred of evidence as of yet bring us some evidence and i think she's going to be very entertaining if she does testify because um, she's one of these conspiracy freaks these QAnon fucks And you know she's going to say some crazy shit. And you know she's going to lie. Here's the thing about Jenny Thomas. 
Remember when they were bandying about this idea of uh, getting Jenny Thomas to testify? What's the first thing she said? She said, I would be glad to testify. I'm anxious to testify to set aside some of these misconceptions. (laughs) But then all of a sudden, she got shy and said, ah, yeah, now I don't think I'm going to talk. I don't think I want to talk to you. And, and what she said was, and the lawyer said was, I don't think there's any reason to talk. You don't have anything to suggest that I should talk to you, which is absolute bullshit. We know there's a lot to talk about. So now apparently they're talking, J6 and uh, Jenny Thomas's lawyers are talking about the prospect of her coming in and testifying. If she doesn't, and I think that's a distinct possibility, well, then what they'll do is they'll fucking subpoena her. And if she doesn't comply with the subpoena, she'll they'll do the very same thing that they did to Steve Bannon. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine <laughs> the wife of a Supreme Court justice going on trial for not complying to a subpoena, a lawful subpoena? Oh, Clarence is going to lose his shit. A lawyer for Thomas said in a letter to the House Select Committee late last month that he does not believe there is currently a sufficient basis to speak with Thomas. There is no story to uncover here, attorney Mark Paoletta flatly insisted. Paoletta sent the letter just two weeks after Thomas had said she was looking forward to talk to the committee to clear up misconceptions misconceptions about her activities. Thomas has previously said she was at a Trump rally that preceded the Capitol attack, but had no role in organizing it and left early. Well, that's funny because we've seen the text where she's talking to Mark Meadows or maybe one of the Proud Boys or something. And she said, send me a Venmo request so I can send you money for the buses. If that isn't part of the the planning of this whole thing, I don't know what the fuck is. Now, critics have called on Clarence Thomas to step down from the court or at the very least recuse himself from January 6 cases, accusing him of a significant conflict of interest in making decisions for a government his wife has battled to undermine. Now, Clarence Thomas is some arrogant fuck that's on the Supreme Court and thinks he's untouchable. I think he's going to find out different. Clarence and Jenny Thomas have participated in one of the worst breaches of trust ever seen in our court system. Representative Bill Pasquale, a Democrat from New Jersey, said in a statement last month calling on Justice Thomas to to resign, referring to the efforts to keep Donald Trump in power despite the defeat in a Democratic election. Senator Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer A Democrat of New York called on Justice Thomas in March to recuse himself from cases in light of serious questions about Jenny Thomas's possible links to the planning and execution of the insurrection. I think we know she was in the thick of it. All the proof points to her being involved in the planning and the facilitating of the insurrection. Justice Thomas took part in cases relating to the January 6, 2021 insurrection and was the lone dissenting vote in a decision against claims of executive privilege by Trump and his aides concerning documents linked to the Capitol riot that were sought by the House panel. 
Well, this is going to be very interesting. And like I said, this week might be very interesting. They want her to testify soon, like a week, two weeks, maybe a month on the outside. But they want her to testify. And let me tell you something. They're going to get her to testify. Things are falling apart for these trump People are stepping away from Donald Trump, and people are being exposed for the lies and the bullshit they are spewing, like in the case with Ginny Thomas. She will have to testify, and as I say, it's going to be entertaining because she's a fucking nutburger. She absolutely is. I mean, she believes the things she's saying. She believes the the predictions from QAnon, and she's all about conspiracy theories. She can't possibly suggest that there was election fraud when there is absolutely no evidence. Sidney Powell was the same way. She's a fucking nutcase. It'll be interesting to see what happens when she talks to the J6 committee, and I'm convinced that she will. Here's the thing. The way it will probably work out as they're negotiating this testifying, it'll go on behind closed doors. But much like uh, Pat Cipollone interview went on behind closed doors. You'll be behind closed doors, but we're videotaping this shit, and it will show up in a hearing. You can count on it that Ginny Thomas's interview will show up in one of the hearings. Now, I keep hearing people say, well, they've completed their eight hearings and uh, they're wrapping it up. No, they're not. They got more hearings coming in September and probably October. They could have as few as one or two more hearings or it could be another eight for all we know. The problem is, is new information and new witnesses are coming to light and that changes everything. They're kind of having to produce this thing on the fly because people are coming out of the woodwork. And evidence is raising to the to the top. So they've got to keep following up on this. As much as they aren't having hearings on television in the month of August, at least at this point, that could change, of course. That doesn't mean they aren't still working on this very hard. That they're talking to people. They've talked to over a thousand people, so they know pretty much everything. Now all they're looking for is corroboration. And they're probably going to be getting that in the month of August. And then come September, the shit is going to fly again. And this is working out perfectly. Keep this shit in the narrative up to the midterms and maybe even beyond the midterms. This will go beyond the midterms. Not just the J6 committee, Georgia, New York, and all this stuff. It'll continue after the midterms. But as long as it's at the head of the narrative... And we get enough Republicans to say, wow, had no idea. That's fucked up. If we get enough of those, the Republicans are going to have a bad midterms. They keep talking about the red wave. I don't see how that's possible. I really don't. And I think deep in their hearts, like with Mitch McConnell and some of these fucks, I think they know it too. And they're nervous about it. Because if they get wiped out in the midterms, the Republicans may not be back in power for a decade or more. So we'll see what happens. I hope Ginny Thomas talks. I hope they have to subpoena her so she can dick around with that and run the risk of being uh, referred to the DOJ and ultimately indicted. I'd love to see that muskox fucking indicted. All right. 
We are going to take a break and we will be right back. One of the most disgusting human beings on the face of this earth has to be Republican Representative Matt Gates. I mean, he is a piece of shit. You know, you'd have to think that if you're under investigation and likely to be indicted for child sex trafficking, maybe you want to fly under the radar. Maybe you don't want to draw attention to yourself. (laughs) But not this dumb fucking cartoon villain looking piece of shit. No, no. He wants as much attention as he can get. And he says the most ridiculous, stupid things that don't make him look any better. It's like he's not even trying. It's like he's resigned himself to the fact that he's going to jail, and he should. And he's just going to say whatever the fuck he wants and let it land wherever it lands. Well, Matt Gates was at a conservative conference in Florida. Basically, a whole group of trump listening to this piece of shit spew on about ridiculous shit. And this is what he said. <laughs> he said, Unattractive women who look like a thumb, don't know what that means, shouldn't complain about losing abortion rights because they're the least likely to get pregnant. Really, dude. That's where you're going to go with this, in the position you're currently in. Now, when you say these women are unattractive, does that mean they're unattractive to you because they're over 16 years of age? I got a feeling that might come into play here. He goes on and says, have you watched these pro-abortion, pro-murder rallies? Gates asked the crowd at the Turning Point USA Student Action Summit in Tampa. A lot of students here. Young people hearing this shit. That's perfect. The people are just disgusting. Why is it that the women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions? Video of the speech has received at least one million views on Twitter. He he went on to say, nobody wants to impregnate you if you look like a thumb. These people are odious from the inside out. The congressman continued, they're like five foot two, three hundred fifty pounds, and they're like, give me my abortions or I'll get up and march and protest. He continues, a few of them need to get up and march. They need to get up and march like for an hour a day, swing those arms, get the blood pumping, maybe mix in a salad. (laughs) Critics were stunned by this. Um, He's cartoonishly misogynistic. I mean, he is a despicable human being, but you can't help but laugh at this guy, too, because he's such a fucking clown. Texas Democratic State Representative Aaron Zwiener was one of the many to lambast the congressman on Twitter. Gates, we don't care if you think we're hot. Either way, we deserve to make our own decisions about our futures. Well, you can kind of see where he's coming from with this, because at some point in the not-too-distant future, he's not going to have the option to make choices for his future. (laughs) The courts will make that decision, and uh, he's going to find a whole new atmosphere inside prison. You get a young guy with this fucking crazy haircut. He's rich, and uh, he's going to find out none of that matters once he's in jail. He's a fucking clown. I, I don't understand him 
and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, they say the most outrageous things. You know, if you went back 20 or 30 years, somebody says one of those things and they're out of the business. They're not in politics anymore. How is it they're still there? How is it they're still sitting members of Congress? Well, I'll tell you, the Republicans don't care. Kevin McCarthy could easily reprimand these folks. He could easily expel them for the things they've done, but he refuses to do that. So people will tell me, well, it's not all Republicans. Well, it is all Republicans because the Republicans who support Matt Gates, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar, to still be sitting members of Congress, if you support the man who allows that to happen, well, then it's all of you. You can't just say, I didn't do that. If you didn't fight against it to save your own party, you're fucking guilty as hell as well. And let's talk about guilty as hell. (laughs) Conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. You know him. We've been hearing for a long time about this court case or these court cases because there's a a number of people involved in this where Alex Jones is going to go to court because of his stance on uh, Sandy Hook, the elementary uh, school shooting in Newtown, Connecticut. He went on for years, literally years, saying it never happened. There were crisis actors. It was all a scam. It was all this and that and whatever he said. But he he basically um, said it never happened. Well, the parents who lost children at uh, Sandy Hook didn't take much of a liking to that. So they decided to take him to court. Now, this has been going on a long time, a couple of years anyway, that we've been hearing about him, the possibility of going to court. He tried to settle out of court. They said, fuck yourself. Now, when he loses all these, and trust me, he will, because everything he said is on fucking tape. It's not like he can say, I didn't say that. Clearly, he did. But if he loses these cases... His company and himself personally will likely be bankrupt. He'll be done. He'll be over. He'll be gone. You know, he may try to start up again. Maybe somebody will give him some money to start up again. But he's going to have to start from ground zero. This guy fucked himself. He thought because Donald uh, Donald Trump was president and the Republicans were in power that he could say and get away with anything, and then these people would protect him. Well, he didn't count on the fact that the Republicans would uh, start to get torn down and Donald Trump would start to get torn apart, and then he wouldn't have that protection. See, now he's got a different attitude. Well, I didn't really say that. No, you fucking said that. There's no question about it. So anyway, we're finally coming coming to a resolution in this situation. Alex Jones will face a jury of his peers for the first time next week, this week, in a defamation trial to determine how much he will have to pay the parents of a child killed in a school shooting after he spent years peddling lies that the tragic ordeal never happened. Now, on December 14, 2012, a gunman walked into Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown, Connecticut, and opened fire. He killed 20 children and six adults. We're talking about six- and seven-year-old children. Now, 
Barack Obama was president when this was going on, and he called this the worst day of his presidency. As the families of the dead mourn, the Carnival Barker host of the conspiracy and disinformation outlet InfoWars was working on his next big grift, convincing his listeners that six- and seven-year-old children who were killed along with the adults who died trying to protect them were part of an elaborate hoax. It would mark the beginning of Jones's many legal troubles to come. Now, Jones knows what's going to happen here. He's going to lose. He's going to have to pay a lot of fucking money. And he's probably going to be financially destroyed personally and professionally. And now he's kind of whining. Have you noticed that? He's not Mr. Tough Guy. I really have a lot of problem watching this guy. I say this to people who are fans of like Rush Limbaugh, Alex Jones, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson. I say this to them only because I know a little bit about the media having worked in it. What you see from these people is just a show. These people might not even think it's real themselves, but they know they have to do what they have to do to garner an audience and uh, advertisers and for them to make money. And they don't really care if it's honest or truthful or anything like that. They'll do whatever they have to do to make a buck. And that's what Alex Jones has done. And now he's realizing that term, fuck around and find out. His life is on the line. His wife divorced him, and now she's willing to testify against him. This man's got troubles like Nobody's got troubles. The only people that have more troubles than him as far as lawsuits are Donald Trump, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and Fox News. They're all fucked because they're all going to lose and it's going to cost them all a lot of fucking money. All right, moving on. A member of the January 6th committee revealed that the Secret Service agents and staff may be put under oath for interviews about the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Now, on Sunday, Representative Adam Schiff of uh, California told CBS host Margaret Brennan that the committee is keen to recover deleted text messages that were sent by the Secret Service on January 6th. We know how that all story happened. January 6th committee said, hey, we want your text from the Secret Service. And they say, and they asked multiple times, and they were turned down multiple times. And then on this last time, they came back and said, oh, whoops, we erased all the text messages. Guess we can't read them. <laughs> what, what's weird about this is the Secret Service is also um, involved with, with uh, enforcing laws with cyber crimes. They know as well as anybody that these, these texts can be re- we uh, uh, found and brought back up. They know this, but somehow they're acting like, well, they're gone, nothing there. We don't have to look for it. Well, you can bet the January 6th committee and people they have doing the investigation are going to pull all this stuff up. In fact, they're finding out that there is maybe 10 Secret Service agents that show they have sent text messages on the 5th and 6th but the content from those texts don't show up. So it looks like, you know, they, they basically 
deleted it on purpose, which is against the law. Uh, it goes, uh, Schiff goes on to say, if they're hiring criminal defense counsel, then they probably have a concern about their criminal liability. We want to hear from these witnesses. Some we want to hear from again. We want to put them under oath if they weren't previously under oath so that we can understand exactly what has happened on January 5th and January 6th. And we have profound concerns about what's going on at the Secret Service, he added. We are now for the first time getting documents that we had requested long ago. Schiff suggested that the committee could investigate the agency for failing to provide the documents in a timely manner. And furthermore, we want to obtain those text messages, he said, if there's any way to retrieve them. By either way, we want to get the answers as to why those texts were destroyed. He makes a good point. There's a lot of things going on with the uh, Secret Service. It seems like it's kind of a rogue organization. You don't hear about them much because they protect the president. They're involved in counterfeiting and cyber crimes and all of that stuff. But you don't see them making the headlines very much. And now we're hearing about all these things when Donald Trump was in charge, when he was president. Now, the guy who was the leader of the uh, the director of the Secret Service, can't remember his name, don't care. Um, he was installed by Donald Trump. Now, what it turns out sounding like, remember Tony Orinato? He's the guy that said Cassidy Hutchinson was lying, and he's pretty suspect in his own right. Donald Trump wanted to make him the uh, leader of the Secret Service. And for whatever reason, Tony Orinato said, "I I can't do it, but I got a guy is one of his best friends, and that's who was presented to Donald Trump. Donald Trump talked to him for about 10 minutes and said, okay, you got the job. So we've got two guys. We've got the director of the Secret Service, who is a Trump fuck, and then we've got Tony Orinato, who was plucked out of the Secret Service, put in as a deputy chief of staff, and also a liaison between the president and the Secret Service. You see what Donald Trump was trying to do there. There are a lot of things that maybe the Secret Service wouldn't allow him to do. If they had Tony Orinato as the liaison, Orinato would know how to make things happen and get things done the way that Donald Trump wants them done. It's all a big scam. I mean, when you think about the fact that uh, when the Secret Service took Mike Pence down to the uh, garage and wanted to get him out of there, but Mike Pence didn't feel comfortable about allowing his own Secret Service agents to uh, take him out of there. He felt like they would kind of uh, hide him away for just long enough to get beyond the uh, certification and then create chaos in the whole process so Donald Trump could do what the fuck he's going to do. The interesting thing, too, is we're hearing these um, radio calls by the Secret Service during the insurrection. These motherfuckers were scared. I mean, some of these people called, uh, made radio calls and said, please call my wife and kids, tell them I love them, and I'll miss them. These guys thought they were going to be injured or killed, so that's how serious it was. And that's one of the reasons why Donald Trump ended up in the uh, White House 
and not in the capital. Now, we all know who Adam Kinzinger is. He's the Republican representative um, who's on the January 6th committee. And he's saying something now I've been saying all along, and uh, I get what he's saying. Some people might disagree, but I don't care. He said that it will be hard to find anyone who admits to supporting former President Donald Trump in five years' time, adding that he thought the former president was becoming irrelevant. And that's true. As I've said before, once Donald Trump doesn't become, is no more useful to the Republican Party for votes or fundraising, he will be cast aside like just about anybody else. And that's kind of where we're at now. We're seeing Republicans pulling away from them. We're seeing that uh, fundraising for him and the people he's supporting is really weak. The Democrats are out fundraising all of those Trump endorsees. So that's a problem. Now, of course, Kinzinger is one of only two Republicans on the January 6th House Committee investigating the Capitol riot. He was asked how he saw the panel's public hearings impacting Republican voters. Now, he is a Republican, remember. He said, this doesn't appear to be having, you know, a ton of impact. Maybe people are shifting more towards a potential for, I don't know, a Ron DeSantis. Trumpism isn't dying even though Trump is becoming irrelevant, Kinzinger said. I'm hearing a lot of anecdotal stuff around the edges of people who have been hardcore with Trump now just can't stand him. So it is having an impact. I, I disagree with him. You can feel the, the tide turning with all these hearings going on. I think, though, in the long term, Jonathan, in like five years, I still believe it's going to be hard to find someone that will ever admit that they were ever a Trump supporter. And I think this is where the impact comes in future history. Now, in recent polls, Trump is still shown to have a wide support among Republicans consistently leading in polls where voters say they would still support a 2024 GOP primary bid should he opt to officially run again. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is the only other Republican in the polls who gets much support besides Trump. But here's a problem here. Ron DeSantis is also an arrogant narcissist, and he's going to butt heads with Donald Trump. With all this negative stuff coming out on Trump, Ron DeSantis is going to pull ahead of him. There's no question. But don't get too scared about Ron DeSantis running in 2024, because we talked about Matt Gates earlier, and we know that there's an investigation going on into Matt Gates. But here's what people often forget. They forget that this situation with Matt Gates and Joel Greenberg throwing him under the bus isn't just about Matt Gates. They've said a number of times in this investigation that there may be other political uh, leaders that were involved in this thing political leaders of note. Now, we don't know who those leaders are in Florida, but I will tell you this. There's a number of pictures with the three Musketeers, the three Stooges, Joel Greenberg, Matt Gates, and Ron DeSantis. You think they all know each other? They're all of a similar age. They're probably best bros. And they like the ladies, you know what I mean? Actually, not ladies. They like the little girls. Now, I don't know if Ron DeSantis is going to be exposed in this thing or not, but if I was a betting man, 
I bet he was involved. He's kind of an arrogant fuck, and he's, he's buddies with Matt Gates. I got to think he may be involved. So there may be a little October surprise for Ron DeSantis. Keep in mind, he is running for governor again uh, for 2022 in November. So he's got to win the governorship, and then he's going to look forward to 2024. Here's the thing. People are very worried about whether Donald Trump will run for president in 2024 or worried about Ron DeSantis. Frankly, I hope they do. One of them does run because they're so fucking crazy. They are going to push away a lot of Republican voters that just can't stand with racism, white supremacy, uh, overthrowing the government. They just don't want to be associated with that. Uh, Like like uh, Kinzinger said. They're done with these fucks. They don't want to be part of that thing. So what I'm saying is if Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump runs against a Democrat in 2024, no matter who that might be, they have less of a chance of winning. And I don't care about anything else other than the Republicans losing. Now, Trump hasn't officially announced his 2024 presidential campaign, but he has repeatedly suggested he may do so. The January 6th House panel had several hearings to show how Trump's response during the Capitol riot was insufficient and how rioters were impacted by Trump's messaging during the 2020 election. The thing is, is, as I've said before, Donald Trump isn't going to run. He's either going to be too sick, legally incapable, or the Republicans won't want any fucking thing to do with him. They just won't. He can't help him win anymore. I mean, he lost the last election by 7 million votes. Do you really think anything has happened to get Donald Trump more votes? If anything's happened right now, there are more people pulling away from him, and he won't be able to get the votes. Come 2024, the Republicans will want to be rid of Donald Trump, and he won't go away that easy. He's not going away in 2022. He wants to make it about himself, and that is the fatal flaw. Donald Trump lost in 2020, and it was essentially a mandate on Donald Trump. What Republicans would prefer to run on is the economy or the border or whatever they want to do. But Donald Trump keeps sticking his fat head in the middle of it and says, it's all about me. And that's the best possible thing for the Democrats. If it's about Donald Trump, he's going to fucking lose. He lost in 2020. It's only gotten worse since that time. There's no way he can win. So I don't have a problem with him running in 2024. Part of me wants him to because he doesn't have a fucking prayer. Now talk about slime buckets. Let's talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene as we're getting close to wrapping this up. Last week, Twitter marked transphobic tweets from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene as violating the site's rules, yet choose to leave the tweets up saying they were a matter of public interest. It's Twitter's designated half-measure that appears to be used mainly for when Republican lawmakers tweet offensive things. I mean, you and I both know we can get kicked off Twitter or uh, TikTok, or any one of those things for saying something that's not nearly as egregious as what these fucks say. Green's tweet in this case was particularly offensive, first accusing U.S. Assistant Secretary of Health Rachel Levine for wanting to hashtag weenie chop children 
and then in a follow-up tweet speculating over the status of Levine's own genitalia by asking if she'd got a weenie chop herself. A weenie chop. Are we really doing this? I mean, this is fourth grade shit. This is the intellectual level of somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene. By now, we should all be used to Greene's transphobic antics. She was first known as the QAnon candidate from Georgia, but quickly embroiled herself in a transphobic back and forth with Representative Marie Newman, who is the mother to a trans child, both of whom um, were profiled in Teen Vogue last year. The two Congress members have offices across the hall from each other. You no doubt saw that video where um, they were putting up signs and going back and forth, you know. Since then, Green has repeatedly run afoul of Twitter's rules against hateful conduct toward trans people. But the latest incident is an escalation in rhetoric, childish expressions. Yeah, childish, weenie chop directed to genitals of any other government official, much less one who's been Senate-confirmed, would rightly be considered beyond the pale and be widely condemned. But in this case, aside from the Twitter label, the tweets received little attention from Democrats. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre did post a tweet praising Levine's work. Now, last year, Democrats on, on the Hill asked House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to condemn or take more formal party action against disparaging remarks Green made about Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But few came to the defense of Levine when she was targeted of uh, Green's Twitter. Yeah, you know, the fucking thing about it is is that uh, Kevin McCarthy hasn't done jack shit. He's not going to do, do jack shit. And when it's all said and done, his party won't get the majority in the House. And even if they did, he ain't going to be the Speaker of the House like he's dying to be. It's a worrying statement by omission that illustrates the precarious positions trans people in the U.S. now find themselves in. We, we have one party on the all-out attack against us, the other party too afraid to speak up for us in an election year. And, you know, that's really on the Democrats. They aren't as strong about this as they should be. Green's comments are a break in decorum that we should all recognize as out of the line. But, you know, nobody does. She just keeps doing it and she keeps getting away with it. And, you know, this is what I've said before about the Republicans. I mean, shit, everybody thinks they're going to win in November. Really? You alienate all women, all people of color, trans people, LGBTQ people. You alienate all those folks. Do you really think you're going to win an election? I don't know. It's it's very frustrating to watch. I hate the fact that we have to listen to this childish shit, that we have to have people in power, people representing large groups of people saying outrageous, horrific, and hateful things. But that's what's going on. And the only reason it continues is because of the Republican Party, because of Kevin McCarthy. They seem to be in line with that mindset. So if the Republican Party believes all the things that Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gozar, Matt Gates, and all these fucks say, who the hell's going to vote for him? 
Well, maybe the 30% of Trump's base, but that's not enough to win a fucking election. The idea that they are going to come in and take over the majority in the House and the Senate in November is absolutely fucking absurd. I'd like somebody to give me a reason why they think that should happen. Oh, I know. People will say, well, historically, fuck historically. What we're going through now has, there's nothing you can compare to it. We've never seen something this bad in history. So to suggest the the, uh, midterms will go based on history is absolutely fucking ridiculous. It's not. There's just no way it can. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. We'll have a lot more shows this week. Ed will probably be in. And if we're lucky, we'll get another listener to join us on the show. If you are um, of a mind to do that, just email me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. All right, you have a great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.